Good morning, Lake Hills Church. You know, by the time you see this video, I will actually be in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I get to be in the service and speaking at the amazing Copper Point Church, which is pastored by our good friends Galen and Kay Woodward. And it's an amazing privilege to get to be there. But I have to tell you the truth, I hate not being in the house at what God is doing in the room at Lake Hills Church. Now, last week, we started talking about icebergs, and we kind of said that a working definition of an iceberg is any hazard whose greatest threat lies beneath the surface, below the waterline, unable to be seen when you're looking at just the surface. But you know, as I'm getting ready for this trip to Albuquerque, I think it's a great opportunity to talk about baggage, to talk about the stuff that we carry around with us as we travel through life. And the baggage that you and I carry around in our lives can absolutely function as a massive iceberg if we're not very careful. You know, the fact of the matter is we've all got baggage. I've got baggage. You've got baggage. All God's chilling got baggage. Now, when I'm packing for this trip to Albuquerque, I'm thinking about what the weather's going to be like when I get there. It's going to be cold for the record. So I'm taking my warm, warm clothes, my cold weather gear, like the little slippers here, because I'm thinking about where I'm going. But you know, the fact of the matter is when we pack for a trip, when we get our baggage ready to go somewhere, we're thinking about where we're going. But most of the time, personally and relationally, emotionally, spiritually, the baggage that we carry is much more about what is behind us and where we have been than it is where we're going. You know, in the last few years, I've, I've taken trips to go hunting in Colorado, and I had to pack the warm wearing stuff for that. Long underwear, hunting boots, camouflage, insulated clothes, those kind of things. Recently, I had to take another trip, and I went to a funeral for the father of a close personal friend of mine. So I packed the suit and the dress shoes and all of those kind of things. The good news about our baggage and how the gospel impacts it is that the gospel calls us forward. The gospel calls us and tells us to focus on where we're going. So I want to give you just kind of a working definition of baggage. When we say baggage, that obviously has a very negative connotation, but what are we talking about? Baggage is just very simply this. Any memory that inhibits or limits your present or your future. It's any memory that inhibits or limits your present or your future. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about calling us into something new, something different, and building what has gone before, but also redeeming everything that has gone before. And it's a powerful, powerful thing that we're going to look at today. Now listen, I understand from the jump that when we talk about baggage, while it's true that we all have baggage, all of our baggage is different. You've got different baggage than I have. And it's important, I think, for us to understand the gospel and the good news of Jesus covers all baggage, no matter what it is, no matter where you've been, no matter what has been done to you, your baggage is reachable. The gospel, the good news of Jesus reaches and covers all baggage. 
In Philippians chapter number 3, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who planted churches all over Asia and in Europe, the Apostle Paul begins talking about how the gospel handles the baggage, but in order to do that, he talks about his own baggage. So don't think that you're alone. Don't think that you are unique. I think one of the cool things that the gospel tells us is we're not alone and we're not crazy. Paul had some incredible baggage to overcome. Now, on one hand, his baggage would be something that a lot of people would be proud of. He came out of a very, very religious background. He says in Philippians 3 that I was a Jew of the Jews. And even more than that, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he says. Now, the Pharisees were a particular sect of the Jews. And they were so religious, they made up laws about the laws of Moses. And so the Pharisees were very, very legalistic, very religiously driven, but they had lost sight of the relational aspect of what God had always intended to have between himself and his people. And Paul says that he went so far as to pursue Phariseeism, to pursue legalism, that he was so zealous in that regard that he even persecuted the church even to the point of murder. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Think about having that in your background for murder to be your baggage. And not just murder, but murder because people believed in Jesus. And Paul says that baggage was even coverable by the gospel. This is how he puts it in Philippians chapter 3. He said, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. Murder. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. Why? Because of what Christ has done. Because of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection, all of our baggage is taken care of. All of it is addressed. All of it is restored in Christ. That is a mind-blowing concept. But I think it can also be something very, very difficult for us to apply, for us to be able to own and appropriate in our lives where we live day in and day out. And I think that's why Paul continues this thought forward as he talks about how do we do that? How do we actually address the baggage in our lives? Because the fact is, as I've said, we've all got it. So what do we do with it? And to get at that, he goes on in Philippians chapter number 3. In verse 12 and 13, Paul is talking to the Philippians about the process of sanctification. Now, we've talked about this before, but what that means is when you come into relationship with Christ, when you commit your life to him personally and enter that relationship, you enter the process of what the Bible calls sanctification. That means that you're just being made more like Jesus today than you were yesterday, this week than last week, this year than last year. That's what sanctification means. And Paul says this in verse 13. He says, my brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, perfection, but I focus on this one thing. Now watch this. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now, there are two really important things packed into that 
that I want to really get at and, and uncover with you because I think it goes directly to this issue of baggage. Remember I talked about at the beginning, when you pack for a trip, you think about where you're going. You may have taken other trips before in the past, but you're carrying bags for where you are going. And the good news of Jesus means that where we are going, Jesus is able to build on where we have been. Where we have been is never to be a hindrance. What was that phrase that Paul used there? He said, I'm forgetting the past. Now, forgetting the past sounds like a great idea, but you and I both know that that can be a lot harder to do than just talking about it. But I think the original language in the Greek that Paul wrote in, it actually gives us a clue as to what that's about. Rather than saying forgetting the past, which is a great concept, but I mean, some of us have some pretty deep wounds. Some of us have some, some pretty recent wounds, maybe. When we use the term forgetting the past, a better way of looking at that would be to neglect your past outside of Christ. To neglect it means, yes, it's there. It was real. It happened. You're not saying that you were never wronged. You're not saying that you've never been wounded. You're not saying that you've never made a mistake. But what you are doing is choosing to neglect it. It's there, but you neglect it. We think of neglect as a bad thing. You know, if, if you have a, a, a pet, you have a dog at home. We have two dogs, Annie and Bo, incredible animals. Bo's better than Annie, but that's a whole other sermon. When we leave town, we make sure that they're taken care of. We either board them or we make sure that somebody comes by to feed them twice a day and look after them, make sure they're okay. We don't just leave town and act like they're never a part of our family. That would be abusive neglect. But to neglect your past outside of Christ means that you choose to move beyond it. You choose to not give it the air that it takes to take up so much of your present or your future. You choose to neglect it. I'm forgetting what is past. And keep in mind the context here. Paul's looking back at his past that included murder. And he says, because of what Christ did, he can neglect his past. So you forget your past, you neglect your past outside of Christ. But then the second thing he says, I press on. I press on. Hey, real quickly, with passion and enthusiasm, turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them, press on. I hope you said that with passion and enthusiasm. I'm going to assume that you did. But you press on to reach the end. That means that you pursue your purpose in Christ. When you come to faith in Christ or when a person chooses to follow Jesus, it's not only about getting to heaven. To be sure that that is a promise God gives us. Faith in Christ means eternity with Christ. But it also means that every second of our here and now, every second of the life that we live is now infused with the purpose of Jesus. That what Jesus does in our lives he wants to do in other people's lives. What he has done for me personally in restoring my past, redeeming the baggage that I used to carry around with me, he wants to do for all of creation. And he invites you and me to participate in that work. So it's not just about letting go of what was in the past and neglecting our past outside of Christ. It now is also about pursuing our purpose in Christ. Finding out what that is. The good news and the bad news is this. 
The good news is you've got a purpose in Christ. I've got a purpose in Christ. The hard thing is it's up to us individually to figure out what that is. And to get there, we have to spend time with God. Take a look at what you do well. Take a look at the things that you enjoy doing in this life. That is probably a huge indicator that God is using to point you toward his purpose for you. What are the things that you don't do well? You know, I'm not a great detail guy. And when I think about my role in Christ's purposes here in the world, obviously I'm a pastor, I'm a communicator. I know that that's what I'm supposed to do. But if I thought that I had to be, say, the bookkeeper at the church, first of all, the church would be in a lot of trouble. Second of all, I would want to run out of the building every day with my hair on fire. That would make me miserable. I get math, blah, it's terrible. My wife, Julie, she loves math. My son, Joseph, he's a senior in high school. They love math. When Julie and I first got married, I remember her telling me, I'll balance the checkbook. I love doing it. It's like a puzzle. Are you joking me right now? See, to me, I think that needs counseling. But thank God that there are people like Julie in this world. Thank God that there's Julie in this world. But it's that purpose in Christ that you have a role to play. I have a role to play in the purpose of Christ in this world. And playing that role goes light years toward letting that baggage go, neglecting that baggage from the past because I'm focused on the present and the future and I'm pressing on toward that goal. But look at what Paul said also. I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. God wants to reward us for running the race, for pressing on. There's a lot of stuff that I don't know. There's a lot that I don't understand. But I do know this. Don't quit. Whatever you're doing in this life, don't quit. Your baggage may be overwhelming right now. And I recognize that that's real. I'm not telling you it's not. But I am telling you there's something better. I'm telling you what God has promised us in the Bible. There is something better ahead than what lies behind. And that is a massive promise of the gospel that nothing else can make. This is not some kind of middle gymnastics or emotional hocus pocus where you just go, poof, the past never happened. That's not what this is about. Remember, he says, it is because of what Christ did. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection are real. Those things happened. And because they happened, our baggage can be neglected. The purposes of God in our lives and through our lives can be fulfilled. Therefore, press on. Press on. Don't quit. Don't give up. And don't believe the lie that you were defined by your past. As a matter of fact, Paul continues this thought of not being defined by our past, but being instead defined by Christ. He says, now, we must hold on to the progress we've already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. This is so critical as you think about jettisoning that baggage, about neglecting the past outside of Christ. 
partner with people in Christ. What does he say? He says, dear brothers and sisters, this is a community effort. This isn't just about me. It's not just about you. Your baggage is not just about you. My baggage is not just about me. He says, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. One of the best ways to get past the past is in community, in friendship with other people. The family of faith is designed to, among other things, help us neglect the past. We're to pattern our lives after those who have maybe been through some other junk, to be around people, to get to know them, do life together, if you will. But specifically, we do that and we start to understand this world, the purposes of Jesus, really and truly are bigger than just me. And that helps everything. When we can lift our heads up, when we can look beyond just where we sit right now, how we feel about what's gone on in the past, which is real, but we can move beyond that because we're around other people. We're partnering with people in Christ. This is the beauty of the church. Now, I know when I talk about the value of the church and the blessings of the church, some of you think, well, you're the pastor. You have to say that. And to be sure, I'm biased. But just because I'm biased doesn't mean I'm wrong. The reality is God has given us the church for, among other things, to move beyond our past, to not be chained and shackled to the baggage that we can carry around with us. So when you get involved, when you get really, truly connected and engaged into the life of the church, you're moving beyond those memories that inhibit and limit your present and your future. You're moving beyond those memories so that you're partnering with people in Christ in the purposes of Christ. It's an amazing, amazing opportunity that he calls us to in this good news. But I love that phrase at the very beginning of that passage, verse 16. We must hold on to the progress we've already made. We must hold on. Now, I want you to turn to the other person who, that you didn't go to the first time, your second favorite person that you're sitting around, and tell him or her, hold on. Hold on to the progress that's already been made. You've already come so far. God has not brought you this far to leave you hanging. So hang on to where you are right now, but understand that there's more to come. Understand that there's more that God wants to do, and he wants to do that in you and through you as you partner with other people in Christ. It's an amazing thing when you think about the reality that the gospel calls us to a present and a future beyond anything we could ask or imagine, while at the same time taking care of our baggage handling it, addressing it in the crucifixion and the resurrection. But Paul kind of makes sure that we get the point at the end of chapter 3. Right before he gets to the end, he says, now, not everybody's going to choose to live this way. There, there are going to be people who will live as, he says, enemies of the cross. A lot of people are not down with the Jesus thing. But then he puts a very fine point on what it means to follow Christ and, and what that means for us personally. In verse 20, he says, But we are citizens of heaven, 
where the Lord Jesus Christ now lives, and we are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. We are citizens of heaven. That's where our residency is located. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We're citizens of God as our king. He is the one who determines our identity. That's how we're known. Paul said at the beginning of this, I was a Jew of the Jews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But he says, now I am a citizen of heaven. And so as we start to really and truly understand that, and we start to live in that reality. Again, this is not some kind of you know, mental gymnastics or spiritual hocus pocus. This is the new reality created by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Because we're citizens of heaven now, our identity has changed. We have moved. You know, I've told you before that my wife Julie is from Mississippi. She, she grew up in Mississippi. That was, that was her whole lifetime until she went to college at Baylor in Waco, Texas, and then married me and has lived in Texas ever since then. She's changed her residency. She's changed it. Now, her dad very much likes to remind me that she's from Mississippi, and that's all well and good. But she lives here. She lives in Texas. When you change your residency, you change your identity, you live for the things of heaven. You don't live any longer for the things of the past, the things of this world. You're now mostly concerned with what? The person of Jesus Christ, the purposes of Christ, and the people of Christ. And so your entire identity has changed. Rather than being defined by your past or your baggage, you are now defined by Jesus, the Son of the living God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. Now, what, what does that mean for us spiritually? If you change your residency, you change your identity, the fact of the matter is that deeply impacts what you do with your baggage. And I think probably the best way to put this is to say this. When we're talking about our baggage, when we're talking about our past, if it no longer fits our identity, then it doesn't deserve our energy. If it doesn't fit our identity in Christ and who he says we are, then why am I going to give it any more energy than it deserves? Why am I going to give it any more oxygen, any more life, any more consideration? I've got to own and realize that that identity in Christ is real and it is forever. Therefore, my baggage, the stuff from the past that maybe I did or was done to me, doesn't deserve that energy going forward. So, what does that mean? It's very simple. It means that you destroy your old ID. You know, when you get a new identification card, whether it's a driver's license or whatever, that is now the valid identification. What has gone before any card that you may have carried before in the past? Destroy it. It doesn't even count anymore. Now, you are a citizen of heaven once you come into that relationship with Christ. And so it becomes about us choosing to believe that Christ has taken care of our baggage. That's why we talk all the time about people choosing to step over the line of faith, 
choosing to come into a relationship with Christ. Now, when I say choosing it, I'm not saying that they do something to become a Christian because Jesus is the only one who saves anybody. But he makes us aware of our need for forgiveness, invites us into that relationship, into that relationship that changes our identity, changes our residency, and then we respond to his grace initiative. And by responding to that, we commit our lives to him. We give every minute of every day, every action, every word, every dime, every relationship, all of it is about his purposes now in our lives and through our lives. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. You know, in a moment as a church, we want to give you the opportunity to make that choice to follow Christ, to respond to his grace initiative. And for a lot of people, it's confusing. A lot of people are like, I don't know, I don't know. But understand, it's very, very simple. It just means that you commit your life to Christ. You confess your sin to him, claim and accept his forgiveness, claim and accept his handling of your baggage, and move into the present and the future that you were created for. The present and the future that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again to provide for you as you respond to him and his amazing grace. Each of us here this morning knows exactly what it's like to travel with baggage, to walk throughout our day or throughout our life carrying something that honestly we were never even designed to carry, that we were never even created to carry. Whether it's hurt or unforgiveness or shame or guilt, or the confusions of a broken home or a broken relationship. Whatever it may be, whatever has happened in our life that has turned into baggage, we all have experienced something, but not all of us know what it's like to let it go and to give it to Jesus. You know, all throughout our lives, we experience these moments that change us whether it be falling in love and, and saying, I do, or becoming a mom or a dad, or maybe it was the moment you lost someone that honestly you never imagined that you would have to walk through this life without. All of these moments certainly change us, but there is only one single moment, one moment in your life that profoundly and eternally alters your life, one moment. And that's the moment that we respond to his grace initiative and step into a relationship with him. It alters every part of our life. It alters our past because he takes it and he redeems it and he uses it for his glory. It alters our present because it changes who you are right now and today. And it alters your future because it changes where you're going. It changes where your family is going. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning and nobody moving around, we're gonna allow God 
the time and the space that he needs to move in hearts. And maybe you've already responded to him. And if so, I would ask that you would just pray during this time. Just pray that God would have his way. But maybe you haven't responded. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior yet. And maybe this is your moment. The moment when you recognize his perfect and amazing grace and you realize that his purposes are greater than anything that you could have ever created or imagined or dreamed or planned on your own. And if that's you this morning, just pray a prayer of surrender. Hey God, here I am, broken and humbled, ready to be restored and used. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. Like Max said, you can never allow your past to be a hindrance, but today you get to choose to neglect your past. Say, God, I choose today to neglect my past and move forward with you. Move forward in your presence and into the hope and the future that you created for me. Because that's why we were created, to know him, to know his love and have that relationship with him. And if you made that decision today, we would ask that you would raise your hand to mark this moment, to mark it as real and a moment that changed everything for you, where you walked away never to return to a past, never to return to the pain or the guilt or the baggage, but to move forward with your Savior. He is so good. And we have a tradition around here. As you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together to welcome you home. This is who we are, and this is why we exist, to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. So we celebrate you. We celebrate this moment.